injustice to one is injustice to all. When a poor singer tried to make a living for himself, is sentenced to death for something as flimsy as a blasphemy charge. The injustice is jarring and the situation very appalling. A few days back, 30-year-old Omar Farouk was sentenced to 10 years in prison for the same offense. It is only right that we talk about the elephants in the room. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Legal Hangout. My name is Oluwa Damilola and I'll be your host. Over here, we discuss societal issues from a legal perspective, providing context and bringing the much-needed clarity. Today, we're going to be discussing religion and law, the complex relationship between those two, the historical precedence of this relationship, whether or not there is even a need for this relationship and what boundaries, if any, exist under Nigerian law to regulate this relationship. So, let's get right into it. Historically, relations between religion and the law have been in close alignment. Legitimate political authority was built on divine origins. Most of the governments of the world were ruled by theocracy combined with absolute monarchy. The kingdoms of the medieval West were bound by their deference to the Pope. The Islamic world was no different, fusing the roles of caliph and sultan together. Moving on to local examples, the upper of the Yoruba tribe were also referred to as Ibakeji Urusha, loosely translated to mean second in command to the gods. The concept of religious freedom and tolerance were very alien concepts. Religious dissent was equated with political subversion. The forces of the state were deployed to punish offenses like heresy in the Western world. People were punished with exile, torture, and sometimes even death. An accusation of witchcraft was certain to result in an horrible death, roasting at the stakes for an unprovable crime. Religion also helps the state to consolidate its power by embarking on holy wars, religious crusades, and jihads to dominate weaker states. Today, with the advent of liberal democracies, the state has gradually come to be a force to protect the religious and irreligious alike, allowing for religious freedoms and the right to freely opt in and out of religious affiliations, at least in most countries. But this does not mean that religion has lost all its power in relations with the law. In most countries of the world, religion seeks to influence the law as opposed to controlling the law as it once did. Rules prohibiting things like abortion and same-sex marriages in most countries are often justified by the use of religious morality. In a country like the United States of America, a particular political party has managed to align itself with religious organizations, promising them influence of the law 
in their favor while in turn they provide funding and support for the political party the morality or otherwise of this action is left to the determination of the american people it is important to note that the relationship between religion and the law has not been all gloom and doom some important concepts in english law have a bit of a religious background to them. An example is the concept of fear hearing advocated by some religious philosophers. They cited the story of Adam and Eve from the book of Genesis in the Bible. The fact that God allowed Adam and Eve to defend themselves after going against his commandments means that accused people should also be allowed to state their side of the story in court. That in Latin verbiage is odi authorem patam, hear both sides, a principle still in use in courts all over the world till this day. Moving from the general to the specific, it is important to talk about the Nigerian experience. Nigerian law is defined by its pluralism. This is because it combines different systems of law to work together. English law as exported by the British is grossly inadequate because of Nigeria's rich cultural diversity. This led to the adoption of customary law for the purpose of using a system that is indigenous to the people as a means of governing their affairs if they choose to allow it. Things like marriages could be governed by either English law or customary law. However, in the northern part of Nigeria, religious identification as opposed to cultural identification was the integral part of the communal identity. In a bid to protect that communal identity, Sharia law was adopted to govern the affairs of the people locally. In those states, Sharia law plays the same role as customary laws place in the southern part of the country and their courts enjoy equal jurisdiction. Section 275 sub 1 of the Nigerian constitution provides that there shall be for any state that requires it a Sharia court of appeal for that state. Rather surprisingly, the Nigerian state still tries to cling to the idea of secularism. This is enshrined in section 10 of the Nigerian constitution that provides that the government of the federation of a state shall not adopt any religion as state religion. This secularism in practice is however very weak as the government still does things like subsidize religious pilgrimage, allow for government parastatals to look into religious issues, use religious clerics in official events amongst other actions. This stance is defended by the constitution in section 17 sub 3b that states that the states shall direct its policy towards ensuring that there are adequate facilities for leisure and for social, religious and cultural life.
In its defense, the Nigerian law mirrors the philosophy of the Nigerian people who are mostly religious. The relationship between religion and the law becomes parasitic when through the enjoyment of religious freedoms, the rights of Nigerians and constitutional provisions are contravened. The constitution provides in section 1 and section 3 that its provisions are supreme and any other law inconsistent with the provision shall be void to the extent of its inconsistency. Things such as blasphemy laws directly contravene the right to freedom of expression as enshrined in section 39 sub 1 of the constitution. It provides that every person shall be entitled to freedom of expression including freedom to hold opinions and to receive and impart ideas and information without interference. Another section usually contravened in the process of enforcing Sharia law is section 277 sub 2b. It provides that the Sharia Court of Appeal shall be competent to decide issues where all parties to the proceeding being Muslims have requested that the court hear the case. This is contravened when minorities who have not been consented to being judged by Islamic law and sometimes not even Muslims are arraigned under Sharia law. The issue that comes to mind is that of Mubarak Bala, an atheist sentenced to death for blasphemy and apostasy. Although in most cases, these wrongful sentences are commuted upon appeal, it is important to put the exercise of such laws under constitutional scrutiny from the commencement of trials till the end of it, till when this happens, what we can do is to continue to speak up against these miscarriages of justice. We are not in the 17th century anymore. We have come to the end of today's episode. As usual, source material for this episode will be linked in the description and the Twitter page is also going to be linked there. You can choose to engage with our content or even drop direct messages. Please share this episode if you liked it. Thanks for your time and bye until next time.